Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller, the host of this program. I'm a collaborative family lawyer and mediator and the founder of the Miller Law Group. And I'm on a mission to help people change how they divorce in New York. And I'm here today with Melissa Goodstein, who's my guest. Melissa is a mediator and a collaborative lawyer, also based in Westchester. And Melissa actively sought out another way of practicing law after witnessing the devastating effects the litigation process had on families during her time as an associate in a litigation firm. And that is actually also my road to my current career. So welcome, Melissa. I'm really happy to have you here. Thank you. And we thought that we would talk today about process choice in divorce, and that, that the decision that people have once they make the decision to to look into divorce or to divorce as to how they're going to make the decisions that they need to make in order to get from married and living together to separated and divorced with a separation agreement, a parenting plan, a division of assets and a cash flow plan between them. And I know that you have a bias <laughs> toward finding appropriate solutions outside the court system as I do in full disclosure. But there is certainly pieces, I think we were talking before we started the show, in which any of those three or maybe more options are possible for families. Is that your experience? Yeah, it's just really finding the right fit for that particular family and the couple and what they're looking for and what they want and what they're willing to participate. What they It's just the willingness of what, what process seems appropriate for them. So the family has a series of concerns, mm-hmm. right, and abilities, and they are looking to match the process that is the most comfortable for them to make the decisions that they need to make. Yeah, it's definitely the comfortableness of it. You find some sometimes you have clients who come in and have heard stories about uh, horrible divorces or afraid of attorneys and just want to, they actively seek out another way of resolving their conflict and feel more comfortable not in a court setting, but feeling even more comfortable having more control and being able to voice what it is that's important to them. And I really feel that working outside of the courts in a mediation or a collaborative setting allows for that opportunity to happen. Yeah, I think one thing that you mentioned right then and there is that people are afraid of lawyers. They (laughs) hear a lot of bad stuff about us. And the idea of going to see a lawyer seems like a really big step. It's very intimidating. And I find that, you know, they want to feel comfortable. And it puts people at it it just litigation counsel or in matrimonial attorneys have a a reputation that's uh, that's intimidating for many people. And so they would find comfort in in another way of addressing and, and speaking about all of this in a more comfortable setting. So I think it would be maybe very helpful for people to really have some sense of what we're talking about when we talk about mediation. What does it look like? You know, if someone were a fly on the wall in a mediation mm-hmm. session, who would be in the room? What would the people be talking about? Maybe we could talk a little bit about our various experiences with the mediation process so help people understand what that actually means. Sure. So in, in my experience, I've been practicing since about 1993. 
And at that time, and I think still is in the area of divorce mediation, it really employs the professions of both mental health professionals as well as attorneys. And so when you're coming into a mediation and a divorce mediator, they're coming in as a neutral, as a facilitator. So let me just stop you for one second, because I think what you're saying is that the mediator, him or herself, could either be a lawyer, Mm -hmm. a mental health professional, or maybe another kind of professional trained to help facilitate the conversation between the people. Exactly. I mean, there's training specific to divorce mediation, as well as training in just general mediation. Specific to divorce mediation, I've done specific training in that, you know, and but I'm coming in, as is all mediators, as a neutral as a facilitator. So while we're professionally an attorney or a therapist, we're not acting in either capacity. Our hats are different. And so so that the mediator is a lawyer, say, as you and I mm-hmm. are, but not a lawyer for one person against the other, not there to give legal advice, but to help guide the conversation, identify the issues that need to be resolved, and then help facilitate a conversation between the people without taking sides. Exactly. The neutrality is really central to that process because we are facilitating an understanding. And while we offer information, identify issues that need further exploration, we're not advising either client. They can, and many people do choose to, work with advising counsel during the process. I serve in that capacity as well, and certainly they're open to doing that. And then at the end, when an agreement is reached, it's strongly encouraged that an agreement is independently reviewed by counsel because you are creating a very, very important document. It's a legally enforceable document, and having independent counsel to review it before executing is just good practice. So, Melissa, in your mediations, is it your experience that you're working directly with the with the couple in the room and and their lawyers, if they have them, are not in the room for most of the time, or are they outside of the room? What is your experience with that? If, if someone were to just walk in on a mediation, <laughs> how many people would be in the room most of the time? Most of the time, it's three. It's the clients and the mediator. There are times that attorneys are involved. I know I am on the list of court-ordered mediators in, in when you have mediation in the courts, and many times in that setting, the attorneys are involved. But this is a case where it's already in litigation, and uh, you know, so in that setting, definitely. But it's the it's it's really the party's choice too. I mean, the process is it's we proceed by agreement, and how could we best be able to achieve resolution? Sometimes having attorneys present is helpful. Sometimes even having maybe another professional, like a financial neutral, is also a, a helpful to assist in you know resolving the conflict or the issues that are being addressed at that particular session. So most mediations involve people working directly with the mediator, sometimes maybe with another helping professional, Mm -hmm. but it's unusual in your practice Mm -hmm. for people to bring their advocates into the room unless they are already in court or there's a reason for them to feel that they need that extra support. Exactly. Exactly. Again, you know, my role is to support and to facilitate. If it's helpful to have both attorneys present, fine, you know. And, you know, but usually that's not the normative. Great. This is Catherine Miller. (laughs) I'm the host of Dialogue on Divorce, and you're listening to my conversation with Melissa Goodstein this afternoon on 1460 AM WBOX and WBOX.com. If you have any questions about mediation or divorce in general or process choice for making divorce decisions, give us a call, 914-636-0110. 914-636-0110 and ask us a question about mediation, collaborative law litigation, 
or anything else related to divorce, and we'll see if we can help answer that question. And right now we're talking about trying to understand and describe the mediation process so that people can have some sense of what it is. And I think earlier on you said, Melissa, that it's a really it's a private process. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting. I got an inquiry from somebody earlier today about uh, the privacy question and how to keep the facts of one situation, and particularly for people who might be visible in the you know social eye, high net worth people, or people who have a public persona, sometimes people of all walks of life really don't want other people to know the details of their finances, the details of their lives, their dirty laundry, even their clean laundry. Mm -hmm. They'd like to keep it private. Definitely. And could you talk a little bit about privacy and the mediation process and what that means in New York? Yeah, definitely. That's also a very compelling reason why people choose mediation because of the privacy and the confidentiality with the process. You come in, nothing really leaves the room unless you reach an agreement. And so that allows for a really, you know, the the ability to to speak freely and openly about what each party values, what they feel is important, without any fear that it's going to be used in, in any way against them or be prejudicial in any way. So it really attracts all different socioeconomic groups. And because of that privacy and that confidentiality, it's it's very comforting and a source of providing this, you know, a, an arena in which you can have this conversation in a safe place. And that's just incredibly powerful and compelling for many people. Yeah, because there's really there's two things. There's one is the privacy of and the support of the conversation mm -hmm. in your mm -hmm. office or my office or another mediator's mm -hmm. office, really where it's it's a private conversation. No one is watching, no one's cross examining. And the facts as they come out as to what's important to each person or anything that's said there is just stays in that room, right? It's it just, just stays. There's yeah, there's no judgment. It just is. And it allows for them to process what they need to process on their own terms in their own way. And that's just so I mean, that's you don't you don't find that in many other in and certainly in the litigation process. Yeah. You're you're you know, so it's it's very important. So I think it is important for people to understand that divorce files in New York are sealed mm -hmm. and therefore are private uh, so that there's not like reporters can go pawing through <laughs> and see what people's uh, information is. So once we reach a an agreement and that agreement is signed by, by the parties to mm -hmm. the agreement, the husband and the wife or the spouses, and they file it in court as the underlying document of their divorce, that is then also private. So in a mediation process, you can go from a private conversation that's held in a private office to an agreement that then is filed in court, but that also remains private and the whole thing can be shielded from the public eye. Yeah, and they never have to go to court. And that's something that's so attractive to many people, you, you, you know, not having to have to go set foot in a court in any way. And just to do it by just submissions of papers is for many people, that's, you know, just very important to them again. Yeah. In an uncontested packet in New York, you don't need to go to, to court and they never need to see a judge or have anybody ask them any questions about it, which is unlike some other states like New Jersey does actually require a court appearance. Mm. I'm given to understand, although I'm certainly not admitted in New Jersey. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about the collaborative law process, because that's also a private process. It's a little bit more involved. And would you like to talk a little bit and describe what that looks like? Because I think it's really useful for people to understand if you were to walk into a mediation session or walk into a collaborative session, who's likely to be there, what's likely to be going on, just because it, it just gives a real kind of visual picture that I think is useful to trying to understand the differences between the two 
process choices. Definitely. So if you look at it, you know, on the continuum, you know, mediation is certainly a process which you're coming in with the aid of a facilitator and really voicing, you're acting as your own voice, the client is. And sometimes that's very difficult, you know, not to lose sight of the fact that you're going through a divorce, a separation, and it's a in many families, or it, it can be, it's a one of the more traumatic events in their lives. And so sometimes it's difficult to come in and to represent yourself, represent your voice, find your voice, even with the help of a facilitator, of a mediator. Yeah, it sometimes feels difficult to speak your truth in the dynamic that's developed in the in the relationship. And sometimes people feel like they don't know what they don't know, mm-hmm. and they don't feel, they don't know what feels right. And that without context, it's really hard for some people to to speak in that setting. Right, because in a mediation, it's a lot is required of you. You are fully participating. If you don't voice what it is that's important to you, what you value, that's not going to make it into an agreement, you know, and so it's really important to have that capacity to do that. And, and the for, willingness to take the responsibility. And the willingness, yeah, the, for sure, it's a willingness. And for the for some people, that's really challenging. And what collaborative offers is an opportunity to have an advocate to help each party really find their voice, identify and help them identify what their values are, what's most important to them. And also, so an advocate is in the room. It's a collaborative attorney. Each party has a collaborative attorney. And we're a member of the New York Association of Collaborative Professionals, which really has very incredible training to become a collaborative attorney, one of them being mediation training. So it is based upon mediation principles, but you add advocacy. So in the room, instead of three people, there's four people. And there's light. There's also a collaborative team that's also assembled in the beginning. So before we get into that, the four people are the two spouses, yeah. the one spouse's attorney and the other spouse's attorney who are there. And I think what you're saying is holding that sort of same mediative ideal of finding a resolution that makes sense to the people on their own terms right. rather than on the advocate's terms with the, with a little greater support of having someone there, you know, on your side. So yeah, it's holding that space. And sometimes people need anchors. They need somebody to help find their voice. Really and to that end, that's what the collaborative advocacy offers. And it's not the traditional adversarial win-lose paradigm. It's a win-win that the my counterpart is coming in and being an advocate for their client. I'm being an advocate for my client, and we're trying to reach an understanding, trying to understand what it is that their client values and what's important to them. They try to understand what's important to my client. And then from there, we have a dialogue and we try to create, you know, create an agreement that speaks to that. And we're working together collaboratively. And we also agree that we're not going to litigate, that we're going to, our goal is to reach a settlement. So, you know, we don't have, our purpose is driven towards settlement and that's our motivation. And we're motivated and contained by a process. And we're both committed to this process. We're all committed to that process. And that's incredibly, incredibly powerful to have that model in which to work from that space. Safety, not only for the participants, but also for the professionals. Safety being that everyone is 100% committed, mm-hmm. total skin in the game to settling out of court and the mm-hmm. attorneys being disqualified from litigating, meaning they're all in. Mm-hmm. They're not saving anything or no. withholding anything or strategizing about what they're going to do when they get into court. 
what they're really doing is trying to help their own client speak <laughs> what's important to him or her and also understand what's really important to the other person. So to help maybe interpret back and forth to expand mm -hmm. the understanding mm -hmm. of the situation and in that expansion help to find new solutions. Exactly. And we also work with a team of collaborative professionals who also assist because, you know, divorce just not as legal. There's emotional, there's financial, there's different complexities and having a team of collaboratively trained professionals, you know, to assist in resolving the areas in which couples are struggling with is also just really, you know, very powerful to work through areas of impasse. This is Catherine Miller. You're listening to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm speaking today with Melissa Goodstein. We're here every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30 on WBOX, 1460 AM and WBOX.com. And we're also a podcast available on iTunes and on my website, which is www.westchesterfamilylaw.com. And we're talking about mediation, collaborative law, and we will talk a little bit about litigation for people facing divorce. And, you know, Melissa, it's really interesting. I've actually had a number of other collaborative professionals on the show, and we've talked with coaches, we've talked with financial specialists. This is the first time I've had another collaborative attorney on the show. And it's really kind of interesting because I think this sort of perspective of the attorneys holding a space for their, you know, sort of traditional space of advocacy or representing our clients and also holding the shared sort of mediative space mm -hmm. where we hold that kind of, it's not really neutral, but we hold the, that sort of joint frame for both parties in our awareness mm -hmm. as we have these conversations. And I find that work to be really, really fascinating and in some ways wonderful. And I use the word powerful. It is. And I think it really helps when you're dealing with very challenging cases and difficult dynamics in a collaboration to have that support professionally of a counterpart that you're thinking, you know, that we're all for a common good. We're all really trying to help this family. And that's also just another reason why I even like practicing in both mediation and collaborative. I find, you know, I'm an attorney trained, but it's a service profession. And I really feel I could be more effective in these models than I can in perhaps maybe in the litigation model. You know, it's really interesting. In my own experience, I got divorced in the late 90s, and there was no collaborative divorce that I was aware of available in New York. And my former husband and I tried mediation, but we were mediation failures, um, not really because there was anything wrong with us, but because I was a matrimonial lawyer. I knew the lingo of the divorce world, and he didn't, and he felt at a disadvantage because of that. And so we actually settled. It took me years to realize that we settled in a very collaborative model. We never went to court. We settled in a conference room. We had joint meetings. Mm -hmm. We didn't have our lawyers like talk a lot. We sat in the room together. And I really credit my ex-husband's a lawyer with helping settle the case. You know, I really think she did a fantastic job of helping him understand what was happening in a way and support him to come to an agreement that I don't think we could have come to together mm -hmm. uh, just because of the dynamic between us. Right. That's fantastic. And when I think about what that was for me, and really, and it took years for me to realize, wait a second, right. <laughs> you know, this was really very collaborative in, in spirit. You know, we 
we signed a custody agreement before we ever talked about a single dollar. You know, we signed, you know, decision making, time sharing, where the kids were going to be when, separate document. We had two documents that we put together to make one because I was very concerned and my ex-husband was too, that we really not involve the children and mm-hmm. that we really protect their best interests, you know, as much mm-hmm. as we possibly could in the event that we were unable to settle our differences and settle our divorce outside of court. And I think that that is also part of the teamwork of the mm-hmm. collaborative model where you and I say work together with Harvey and Wilma, mm-hmm. you know, to both express Harvey's and Wilma's views and also try to elicit from the other person an understanding for myself or yourself of across the table mm-hmm. what it is that is really important to the other party so that we can help build a settlement that works for the whole family. Yeah. I mean, no divorce, it's not cookie cutters. I mean, it's not, you know, every every family is unique. Every family has their own stuff and their own needs, their own wants, their own interests. And we're coming in as creative problem solvers, working all together to try to create the best possible agreement for this family. And I think having that control and that capacity and that opportunity to do that is something that is difficult to get when you maybe are in a in a litigation, because I think a lot of it is procedural. It's a lot of other stuff to get what you're, you know, the agreement. And here it kind of cuts through it. You're right in there. You're 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 going right into the conflict. You're going right into the solution. You're you're all driven to reach a solution. And that just opens up the area for creative problem solving. And that's what's also very attractive about this. You know, you want to hear different options. You want to hear, well, I didn't think about this in this way. And it's also helpful to get to the when you're evaluating to figure out what the best option is for that family. I think that's really interesting what you said about focusing really on on the uniqueness of the family. Mm-hmm. You know, when there's a lot of distraction but process or sort of hoops you have to jump through, you know, rules you have to mm-hmm. follow, that the uniqueness of the people and the, and the uniqueness of their situation kind of fades into the background. And it's easy to see them as, you know, the oatmeal cookie or the chocolate chip or the white chocolate macadamia nut. Those are my personal favorites. <laughs> so I want to do two things. One is I want to give people an opportunity to have your contact information. So could you tell us how people can reach you? I have a website, melissagoodstein.com, or, you know, I have a phone number, you know. And it is. And it is (laughs) 914-767-0438. And I have my primary offices in Katona, but I do also have office use in Lower Westchester and and in Manhattan as well. And Melissa, you know, we've left a little bit of time at the end to talk about litigation, do you have a sense as to the kind of cases, you know, I just want to say that in in New York, statistically, as I understand it, 97% of divorce <laughs> cases settle before a judge hands down a decision after a trial. But there are some cases, I think, oh, that are appropriate sure. for the litigation model. And and in your opinion, could you say some words about what you would think? <laughs> Definitely, would be? Um, because I've had that experience. I've had people who come to me for consults and I say, you know what? I think litigation is appropriate here. I think in cases of domestic violence, in many cases, I personally don't think mediation is an appropriate process. And I think collaborative is also possibly not. And also if there is, you know, non-disclosure of assets. I mean, there's a willingness and a transparency that's required of you in these processes. You don't have subpoena power. You can't compel. So if there's not a willingness to, to really participate and not to disclose that's where courts come in. Yeah. I think there's one other place where litigation is is the only option for people and, and therefore a good option. 
And that's where you have one person who refuses to cooperate mm -hmm. because mediation and collaborative law are both voluntary processes. And if one person wants to proceed with the divorce and the other one doesn't, one person you know, wants to move things forward and the other one just consistently, consistently, consistently can't deal with it, won't deal with it, isn't dealing with it. For the person who really wants to move forward and make some of these decisions, the court process is the only process that will allow them to do that and help them to do that. Definitely. And then I've had some times where people do that, you know, to compel to get them to answer and then they come back and try to seek out alternatives. Well, often. That's yeah. often true. Once <laughs> once they realize they're in the process and, and they've got the attention of the other person, then, you know, maybe they want to make the, mm. you know, come back into a conference room mm -hmm. and make decisions based on what's important to them based on, rather than what's important. To it's a call to action. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's really been a pleasure having you today. You're Melissa welcome. Goodstein, you got her information, is at melissagoodstein.com. That's it. And uh, this is Catherine Miller. I'm at westchesterfamilylaw.com. Thank you for joining us.